0: When I was a little boy, I had a number of lunchboxes. I collected them like women collect shoes. I had Smurf, Star Wars, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Thundercats. I had a lot. But don't judge me, I'm an only child, so it it made sense for me to have a lot of lunchboxes. Yet my favorite lunchbox was my metal Scooby-Doo lunchbox was beloved to me. On one particular day, while walking home from um, elementary school, with my Scooby-Doo lunchbox in hand, I encountered the elementary school bully. And he was a little older than me. And uh, when I first saw him and his posse of, of little bullies approaching me, my first instinct was to run. I knew I could outrun them. And yet I didn't want to be seen as a coward or to be teased later about running away. So I held my sidewalk and I continued walking. In hindsight, that was poor deduction on my part. (laughs) I should have run. Always listen to your gut. The boys approached, a scuffle ensued, four against one. Words were spoken, which at the time I had never heard before. Uh, They had older siblings, so they just knew things that I didn't. Tears were shed, my tears, and a lot of grass was eaten. (laughs) Not by my choice, they kept pushing me into the ground. So there's that. Worst of all, in the midst of the... The brawl or scuffle, I lost grip of my Scooby-Doo lunchbox. And as it laid upon the ground, one of the boys began jumping on it. And the other boys followed suit. They crushed it. Uh, They also crushed my childhood innocence, but that's another sermon. When I finally broke away, I ran home and of course I was inconsolable and it wasn't because of the scuffle though that wasn't the issue that wasn't the pain I was inconsolable because they destroyed my lunchbox and in my fleeing I didn't pick it up and so I felt as though I had abandoned Scooby-Doo I had left him behind And, you know, Scooby was the love of my life at that time. I know it's ridiculous, yet I was seven years old. Scooby mattered. Eventually, I calmed down enough to to tell my grandparents what had happened. And at first, I wasn't going to say who who these boys were. But eventually, I did. I named every one of them. (laughs) And my papaw was a very honorable man, and he expected others to live honorably. And keep in mind, Hilliard was a small community then, and these boys and I lived in the same neighborhood, so my papaw knew where each one of them lived. And so after I calmed down, um, he went to every one of those boys' homes, and shared with their parents what their sons had done. And he required, he did not ask, he required that every one of those boys come to our home and apologize to me. Worst day ever. (laughs) (laughs) Worst day ever. And they did. each boy with a parent arrived at our doorstep later in the day, and spoke words of apology to me. I'm sorry for beating you up, John. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Sorry for breaking your lunchbox, John. Me too. The truth is, they didn't mean it. They didn't mean it. Everyone present knew that their confession, their forgiveness they were seeking, was all for show. Everyone knew it. Of course, I said thank you because I was raised right. And those boys went home to their parents, and that was that. Yet for my part, I carried the the shame, and I guess you'd say the hurt, of that day with me for many years. It was into my 20s that I finally released those boys, their debt, to me. Ridiculous, I know, yet it was an amazing lunchbox. Mm-hmm. On, many level to, on many levels, today's uh, scripture lesson from Matthew, focused upon the topic of forgiveness, um, borders upon the ridiculous, the absurd. From its opening lines, when Peter asks Jesus, How often should I forgive? And Jesus replies, 70 times 7, so 490 times. That's a lot of forgiveness. And what I wonder is, how would you keep track? I know, technicalities. And then Jesus shares with Peter an extreme parable that he likens to the kingdom of heaven. A king is settling his accounts. And one of the king's servants owes him $10,000. Talents. A single talent is equivalent to one year's wages. One year's wages. So, this one servant has been given 10,000 years of wages. To put this in perspective for you, there is no way a servant could amass that much debt. It's absurd. And when the servant is brought before the king to settle his account, he pleads with the king, have patience with me, I'll repay you everything. Now, unless this servant is going to live for 10,000 years and take on a part-time or second job, there's no way in his lifetime he's going to pay back 10,000 years of wages. It's another absurd element of the story. And yet, out of pity for this servant, the king forgives him, takes his account to zero. I'm not a financial planner, but something tells me you could not just simply ignore 10,000 years of wages. It's absurd. Moments later, the forgiven servant comes upon a fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii. Uh, denara is worth one day's wage. So if you worked eight hours a day and made $10 an hour, $80. He owed the servant $80. But yet the forgiven servant demands repayment. He seizes him by the neck. And even though the other is pleading with him, have patience with me, I'll pay you Everything. The forgiven servant is unwilling to forgive, and he throws the man in prison. Really? You've just been forgiven 10,000 years of wages, and yet you cannot forgive a single day's wage? Is he obtuse, or is it just another example of absurdity? The king learns of the forgiven servant's actions, his unwillingness to be merciful towards the fellow man, and in anger, the king hands him over to be tortured for the rest of his life, or until he pays the 10,000 years of wages back, which I think I've established is impossible. Jesus concludes this extreme parable with telling Peter that Anyone who does not forgive from the heart will suffer the same fate as the unforgiving servant. So, a lifetime of torture. Yeah? Yeah. It doesn't really leave you with the warm and fuzzies, does it? It doesn't. I don't know that I would lead with this parable if I were trying to inspire discipleship or community unity, but I'm not Jesus, so we'll go with it. What's the takeaway? What do we learn from all of this absurdity? Because it is absurd. First, we need to understand that what we have before us in today's parable is hyperbole. Do you know what hyperbole is? I'll tell you it's an exaggerated story, it utilizes the ridiculous and the absurd to convey a meaning. The events of the story are not meant to be taken literally. Yet the meaning of the story is to be taken literally. Throughout his life, Jesus consistently spoke to the necessity of forgiveness and mercy and grace because he knew the effects unforgiveness would have upon an individual and a community. If forgiveness is not offered, The hurt and the wounds of a person will only fester, only deepen, and will only divide the community. Returning to Peter's original question, how often should I forgive? And his response 490 times. Jesus' intent isn't that we focus on the number of times that we forgive as much as ingraining the act of forgiveness as a reflex, a habitual way of being in the world. Do you think about brushing your teeth? That's a real question, do you? But do you think about forgiving someone? Probably. Most of us do. Without question, forgiveness is the hardest aspect aspect of God's life for us to emulate in our own lives, the hardest part. At best, though, it is not a response. It's an embedded part of who we are. Least we forget that we were created in God's image. And forgiveness is within us, if we choose to allow it to rise up to define our lives. How many of you remember the um, the, the Nickel Mines uh, killing of the five Amish girls a few years ago? You remember that? By day's end, with uh, five of their girls killed and uh, the other five uh, in critical condition, the leader of that Amish community was was heard saying to his community. And to anyone who would hear, we cannot thank evil thoughts of this man. We cannot thank evil thoughts of this man. And by day's end, they had went to his widow, because he had committed suicide, and forgiven her of his actions. And then they set up a, a fund so that she and his children would be cared for. Can you imagine the level of forgiveness it would take To live in such a way towards someone who has just taken something so precious away from you. Can you? I can't. But it's their way of life, it is meant to be our way of life. God forgives us our many inexcusable debts, and we have many, but always forgiven. And if we love God and we have faith in God, then naturally that love and that faith manifest itself in forgiving our neighbors. We can't help but love another, forgive another. The great fault of the forgiven servant was his unwillingness to forgive, his absence of mercy led him to a lifetime of torture not imposed by god but imposed by himself as i mentioned earlier it took me a long time to forgive the crushing of my scooby-doo lunchbox and the beatdown i i suffered that day and it wasn't until i was in a linton bible study and i was lingering upon the words uh, that jesus spoke from the cross Uh, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That I realized I no longer needed to carry the shame and the hurt. It was absurd to carry it for so long. I needed to give it up to God. I needed to be set free because I had been imprisoned by it for so long. I certainly wasn't denying the shame or the hurt and I wasn't giving those boys a pass but I was acknowledging that they probably didn't realize what they were doing or the hurt that they caused. I needed to leave behind my resentment and just live in God's steadfast love. So often in life we forget to rely on God's heart. Believing that we can bear our wounds and our pain alone. Believing that revenge and retribution will make us right. And it never will, it will only wound us further. God created us to love and to be loved. We were created not to be defined and imprisoned by our wounds, but defined by freedom, defined by grace defined by acts of mercy. Amen.